Okay, hey, let's welcome everybody else who's going to be joining us online later this week, too. Fired up that you guys are with us. Hey, the truth is we are in the third and final week of a series called Dangerous Prayers, and next week is Easter Sunday, and we just can't even wait. We think God is going to do something absolutely incredible on Easter Sunday, and we're all invited to be a part of that. And so just kind of gearing up, we're kind of expecting God to do really immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And you being here today is just kind of the precursor for it. And we're, again, we're just thrilled about it. Well, hey, the truth is, last week of a series, that means that we have spent the last two weeks kind of teeing this thing up, and we're landing the ship uh, today. Um, we are doing this thing called Dangerous Prayers because anything less like anything less than dangerous, audacious, big, bold, risk-taking prayers just don't make sense to us. I mean, it just doesn't really. When we have the God of the universe on the other end of our prayers, I mean, praying small things like, God, would you help this Casey's pizza that I'm about to eat not to go to my love handles just doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, when I pray for my girls at night, if the extent of my prayer for them is God help them to dream about ice cream trucks, you know, and help them to have great dreams of like ponies and things. If that's all I'm asking the God of the universe, the very star breather to do, I mean, what is that? And the truth is, I mean, for most of us, whether you're an adventurist or not, we all know the value of living life a little bit on edge. I mean, living life a little bit dangerously. Uh, it actually reminds me of a story a few years back when I was a youth pastor in town at Faith Baptist Church before I came here. Um, there was a student that was kind of one of my, I'm going to be quite honest, he, he was one of my favorite kids. He, he was a high school kid at the time and just all out crazy all the time. I mean, this dude, I mean, just was nuts, got in trouble a lot. I mean, just nuts, you know, crazy. Well, one afternoon I decided to take him golfing, which that doesn't make much sense. You don't take a guy who's crazy golfing, but I decided to do that anyways. We went over to Cologne or Kyoto, I forget the place that we went. And we started golfing, having fun. He's like, you know, happy Gilmore in it and just having a blast. And, and we're, we, of course, rented a golf cart because that's what you do when, you know, you, I don't know, it's just who golfs walking anymore. But anyway, so we grab a golf cart. Well, halfway through the round, no kidding, it starts torrential downpour. I mean, it was just a total rain. And, and, and I kind of asked this kid, I said, hey, do you want to stop? And he's like, heavens no, this is awesome. And he's just having the time of his life, you know, chunking up the grass, you know, like crazy. And, and I'm just kind of like, I hope nobody's watching. Well, eventually he gets the courage to ask me if he can drive. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. The whole time I'm just kind of like doing my best to avoid the conversation. He's like, come on, it's like the eighth hole, can I drive? And, and I say, sure, whatever. I hand him over the, you know, the steering wheel. He starts driving up this hill to, towards the next kind of tee box. After we tee off, he goes, hop in, I'm still driving. He kind of checks behind him, does one of these things, and he goes, hold on. I'm like, what do you mean, hold on? He's like, just hold on. He just bolts it down like the middle of the fairway. We were speeding through. He's like, are you holding on now? And I'm like, what, what? He's, he's like, well, whatever. Bounces on the brake. You know, we're flying down, turns the wheel. And in the middle of the fairway, we start spinning out doing donuts the whole way down. I thought I was going to lose my cookies until I turned up, saw at the top of the clubhouse, the manager up there going, uh-uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I didn't get fired from that job the day I started. But to tell you the truth, even though that was nuts and I felt like I was going to die, I never felt more alive on a, golf cart, on a golf course than that moment alone. When you live life a little dangerously, man, doesn't it just feel like you come alive? Doesn't it just feel like the blood's pumping that you're doing things? And so we launched this series talking about the very reason we have to pray dangerous prayers. Because we don't exist as a church 
if we don't pray those type of prayers. Our mission and our vision and the reason why we do what we do, we actually described that week one, I kind of drew out a whole chart of why we do what we do, and we just said it just doesn't make much sense to pray casual prayers around here. We have to pray big prayers. We've, from the day one, said we've got to reach our county for Christ. We've got to be a church that really just bleeds this, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you, you're welcome here. And so we just have a wide open front door and just say, everybody's included, the whole county. And then we start having people from other counties show up and we're going, we gotta love on their county too. And so we just have this ever-growing mission, ever-growing vision to see God write a different story in Washington County and the counties that touch us. And we just go, safe prayers aren't gonna cut that. We gotta pray bold. We gotta pray that a thousand people come to Easter if we wanna start making a dent in our city and in our county. And so we're betting the farm. We're praying big, bold, dangerous prayers. Now last week, we actually talked about one of the boldest, dangerous prayers that I can find in the Bible. It's a prayer that King David prayed in the Psalms, and it was in Psalm 139. It was the tail end of the, of the chapter, and he prayed one of the most audacious, crazy prayers. At first glance, it might not be like that, but I'm telling you what, he prayed four things in this one prayer. He said, hey God, would you search my heart? I'm not sure how many of you would be bold enough to say, hey God, you know, God of the universe, why don't you search my heart? Then he goes on to pray, would you reveal any of my fears? The truth is God didn't create us to be a bunch of people who are timid, shy, fearful all the time. He created us to be bold and powerful and courageous and to take ground. And he says, God, would you show me my heart? Would you reveal my fears? And then he goes, point out any sin in my life. And the truth is, the minute that he prayed that prayer, I believe God did that very thing. And I think the reason why he had to start with his heart was because his heart really mattered in this one. See, David was a guy who had made enormous mistakes in his past. I mean, this was the guy that we would have all talked about at the water cooler, going like, did you hear what David did last night? Seriously, that guy's showing to church? You know, they, that was that guy. I mean, he had just blown it so much, and he's looking towards his future going, oh, man, if I don't get my heart lined up with God, if God doesn't show me the blind spots in my life, the sin that is tanking me over and over again, I am, I'm hopeless. So he says, hey God, would you show me the very things in my life that are, that are hindering me from the best possible? And then he prays, quite honestly, the two boldest words ever. He says, God, lead me, lead me. For a man, for any human being to tell God, you know what I want you to do? God, I want to move to second place. God, I want you to be in first place. I want you to lead my life. It's this position of humility going, God, on my own, I don't like where I'm heading, but God, I'm asking you to take over. I'm asking you to drive. I'm asking you to lead my life. And so David prays this incredible prayer. Search my heart. Would you reveal my fears? Would you point out any sin in me? And God, would you lead my life? Would you lead me? Now, today, we're gonna land the ship by looking at a prayer that was so bold by a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah prays a prayer, and it's a prayer, really kind of simply, a prayer of availability. He kind of prays and he kind of positions himself in front of God going, here I am, God. You can use me, you can send me, you can do whatever you want with my life. I'm making myself available to you, God. Now, side note on availability. Don't you hate it when things are unavailable? 
I mean, isn't that just true when you're looking for something and what you're looking for, you show up and it's unavailable? This happens to me almost every time I go shopping for a new pair of shoes. And I know some of you are thinking, dude, you have a new pair of shoes on every time you get up and talk. But I'm telling you, when you have size 13 and 14, you know, size Nikes that you're trying to wear, almost nobody has those in stock. You always have to order them special order. It's just ridiculous. But every time I go shopping, the feedback that I get from the employees, hey, what size? I mean, those that big? And they go, sorry, we don't have any of those available. I hate that. I hate, it just drives me nuts. When something I'm looking for is unavailable, you want to know what drives me even more crazy? Is when I'm shopping with my daughters, and I've told them that I'm going to go buy them something, and that thing that they're getting their hopes up for is unavailable. This happened just this last week. My daughter, Micah, a couple weeks ago, got a brand new bike from her grandpa. Grandpa saw that she was riding her bike, and she was doing good. He's like, hey, it's about time you graduate to the big leagues. He gets her a nice bike at Walmart, comes home, and I'm like, thanks a lot, man. Now I'm going to have to buy one of those for every other kid, you know? And I I got four of those. This is going to add up quick. And I go, how much was the bike? And he says, it's 40 bucks. I was like, 40 bucks? I got that. I was like, Kara, Kara's my second born who doesn't get really anything new. Uh, She always gets Micah's hands me down. I go, Kara, we're getting you a bike. And she's like, yeah. I was like, and I didn't tell her, of course, it's the $40 special at Walmart, but I'm like, you're getting a brand new bike, babe. And so just this last week, we go to Walmart, and I'm hyping it up like it's a good dad-daughter moment. Like, you're getting your first bike. It's going to be good. And we go to Walmart, and I'm now thinking, oh, crap. What if they are out of the $40 specials? You know, I'm going to be sunk on this thing. And, and so we walk over to the bike section in Walmart, and you know where it's at. It's just the one in town. And, and, and I'm looking, and I see her get glued to this brand new bike. And I look at the price tag, and I'm like, crap, it's 70 bucks. I'm like, ah. I was like, Kara, come on, come on. And I try to lead her away, and she's like looking back like, Dad, what's wrong with that one? I'm like, there's more. Like, just trust me, there's more bikes, and, and I cannot find the $40 specials. Nowhere. Like, they're in, and I, so I, quickly, she's going back to this one that she likes, and then I flag down an employee. I'm like, get over here. We need help. You know, we need I'm about to be sunk on this thing, and he comes around. I'm like, hey, my dad was just in here last week, and he bought my other daughter a bike for 40 bucks. Do you have any of those? Where are they at? And he's like, yes, they're over here around the corner. So I'm like, thank you, God. You know, and I grab Kara. We go over here. I'm like, there are going to be way better ones over here. Come here, trust me. And we look up, and no kidding, we see a boy's bike that's $40, and we two, then we see two empty slots where the girls' bikes and I'm like, no way, they're gone, they're sold out. And I look at it and I'm like, well, obviously they're not here. I was like, she's not going to be, I'm like, would you drive a boy's bike? She's like, no, dad. And like, I'm like, well, how about in the back? I'll put it together. He said, dials it in, he looks at it, and he's like, sorry, we're completely out. There's nothing available. And I look at this girl, Kara, and she's looking up and like, so what? I found the $70 one, dad. <laughs> like, and I'm going, man. What do you do? Do you tell her, well, sorry, babe, we're not to wait till next week when they come in, or do you just get what's available? I'm telling you what, $100 later, I'm walking out with a helmet that has princesses on it and a bike that I didn't even want to buy, and I'm going, I hate it when things I'm looking for are unavailable, and we do too. And I tell you that because I think some of us position ourselves that way in front of God. You go, God, you know, here I am, and he he responds, and you go, ah, actually, I'm, a, I'm unavailable. Isaiah, the reason why this is one of the most dangerous prayers in all the Bible is he is talking with God and goes, God, here I am. You can send me wherever you want. I am completely available. 
The truth is, today is what's known as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday where Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he knows that he has just made himself available to go to the cross, what we celebrate next weekend at Easter Sunday. And he's made himself available. We have this incredible picture, this model of what Jesus done, what Isaiah says. And the question I want to ask you today is, would you make yourself available? Would you be bold enough, dangerous enough to say, hey God, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. I will be made available for you. So I start to imagine a church our size in our county. We average right around 500 people every single weekend. And I just think about this. I go, what if each and every one of us leave here and we go, God, you can use me in whatever capacity you want to use me. in? God, I am completely available to you. What would happen? And I'm telling you what would happen is a great move of God. If you're a note taker, the only thing that I'm going to ask you to write down is this equation. It's an equation that I just drew up during the week this last week. When you have God's what... God's what he asked you to do, plus your, your will equals a great move of God. God's what? When he gives you what he wants you to do, and you add it to your willingness to respond and say, God, I'm completely available. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. It always equals a great move of God. Always does. Our willingness to do whatever God asks positions us to be used in a great way by God. Now, here's what happens all throughout the Old Testament. We see God prompt people with a what. He gives them what he wants them to do, but the truth is, throughout stories in the Bible, we get different responses back to God's what. If you can uh, follow along with us on the screens, you're going to hear about the first one is from a guy named Jonah. God gives a guy named Jonah a specific what he wants him to do. Check this out. He responds to Jonah in chapter one of Jonah in verses two and three. He says, hey Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. God's given him a clear what? I want you to go to this city. I want you to go tell them about me. I need you to kind of show them that the way they're living is unacceptable. That's your what? Jonah responds with a a little bit different than an I will. He says this, but Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. The truth is, if you want to jot this down, one of the ways that we respond to God is the way Jonah did. Here I am, God. I'm not going. I'm not going. It's a little bit different than this prayer of availability. It's this prayer of, God, I hear kind of good and clear what you're asking me to do, but I'm not going. I don't have time for that, God. I'm not really sure I really want to do what you've just asked me to do. But God's saying, hey, Jonah, I want to use you. I want you to be used by me to point some people to Jesus. And Jonah says, sorry, I'm not going. I'm not down with what I'm asking you to do or what you're asking me to do. And I wonder how many of you feel the same way in your day-to-day relationship with God, where he prompts you. And maybe some of you are even in here today and you know for the longest time God has been asking you to forgive somebody in your life. And you go, God, I hear you. I know that's what you want me to do, but just like Jonah, I'm not going there. I don't got time for that. 
I want to hold on to that one a little bit more. Or maybe it's a different area where it's a, an issue in your life, a, a, a sin area, some junk in your life that you just go, oh, I know I should probably address this. I, I know this has kind of lingered around. Maybe it's an addiction. I know I should get help, but you just say, hey, God, I know, I know, I know, I know. I hear you loud and clear. I'm not going there. Maybe some of you even know what it's like to to feel God lean in. And and when I talk about serving around here, giving or inviting your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, you go, yeah, I hear that good and clear, but God, I'm not going there. See, for the longest time, I've actually lived those shoes as well. The truth is I heard good and clear that we were supposed to start this church here in Washington well before we actually had the courage to do it. Remember leaving my church uh, at Faith Baptist, moving to Ottumwa, and starting to just pray about, God, where do you want us to go? And, and I knew already that God would ask me to be back here in Washington, but I fought it like nobody's business. Carrie was keep on telling me, Tony, I don't know about Washington. They don't have a Target, a Walgreens, or a Starbucks. You know, like, come on. And, and it, I mean, we just kind of fought this one for so long. Spent time driving around, and, and almost I feel like I could insert my name where Jonah's name was. If, if you were to open up your Bible, you wouldn't find this, and I hope God doesn't like strike me down. But if you were to find Tony chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it might read like this. Hey, Tony, get up and go to the great city of Washington. Would you point as many people to Jesus as you can because I have seen how much they could use a church like the one I want you to start. But my story, prior to starting, was... Tony got up and he drove across Iowa three times trying to find another city to get away from what God had asked me to do. And for the longest time, come home after a trip like that, and I say, Gary, it just isn't clicking. I don't know what God's asking us to do. And, and I just fight it, you know. And, and what I was doing was saying, hey, God, here I am, but I'm not sure I want to go there. I'm not sure... It might hurt a little bit, and I don't know if it'll cause some friction with old relationships. God, I'm just not sure. And I wonder if you can relate to that. There's an area in your life right now where God's maybe asking you to step in, and your simple response back is, God, I hear you, but I'm not sure I really want to step. I'm not really sure I want to go there. Another guy named Moses prayed something a little bit different. Jonah prayed, here I am, I'm not going, but a guy named Moses prayed, again, something a little bit different. You can find his story in Exodus and and listen to his conversation with God in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, now Moses, I'm asking you to do something. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. They were enslaved at the time. This this nation was enslaved and, and God's going, hey, you know what I want you to do, Moses? I want to set you apart, and I want you to rescue this nation through my power. I want you to remove them out of the slavery, and I want to choose you to do it through. He goes on to say this, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So you can almost hear the conversation again, and God's leaning in going, hey, Moses, (laughs) I want, I want to use you to do something incredible. And Moses responds. In some way, he says, God, I hear you, but the truth is, send somebody else. He he says, who am I? He keeps on saying, who am I? Kind of adding these excuses. I'm not good enough. I can't talk well enough. I'm not that great of a leader. Would you send my brother to do that? Who am I? He's basically saying, here I am, God. I hear you loud and clear, but would you send someone else? And again, I'll ask you the same question. Can you relate to Moses? 
where you hear God at times lean in and prompt you to do something, and instead of kind of responding boldly and saying, God, yes, use me, you say, actually, you might want to use somebody else who's maybe more talented, more gifted, maybe more well-to-do. God, would you use them? Because right now it's a little bit of an inconvenience for me. I don't see in me what you need to be accomplished. I can't see myself accomplishing the big task that you have in store for me. And I think God sometimes is not really asking us if I can. He's simply asking us if we will. If I can say that again, I don't think God sometimes is asking us if we can do it. I think he's simply asking us if we will do it. See, the truth is, there's so many times that self-talk tells me, yeah, you're not good enough to accomplish this. And we say, okay, God, send somebody else. I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented enough. And I think our Heavenly Father leans down and says, I don't give a flying rip what you think about yourself or what other people say about you. You're my son and my daughter. What I think about you counts. You might see in you a failure. You might see in you worthless. You might see not good enough, not strong enough, not enough money, but I see somebody who's perfect for the job. Reminds me of just the time when I was teaching Micah how to ride her bike. I mean, we'd be outside on 12th Avenue and, and I'm kind of helping her get started and, and I tell you what, for a week she would just say, I can't do it, Dad, I'm not strong enough or I can't figure it out, I can't, you know, I can't stop when I get started. I'm like, baby, I know you can. Well, I can't, Dad, I'm not sure if I, and over and over, she'd respond, I can't, I can't, I can't. And at some point, she had to just believe that what her father saw in her was true about her. And I wonder if that's true for somebody in the room. You've been telling yourself for far too long, I can't, I'm not good enough. But the truth is, your father in heaven sees something in you that you might not even be able to see right now. But it's when you trust It's when Micah, my oldest daughter, trusted that her dad was not going to let her down, trusted that I'd be with her, that I'd guide her in the right direction, that she started to soar. So she starts taking off on her bike, and now she's going, no way, I can do this. And I'm telling you what, some of you in the room, I would love it if you knew that your heavenly father, whatever he asks you to do, as long as you simply respond, I will, You might not be able to see it accomplished. You might not be able to see the insides of you going, I don't know if I have the abilities right now. God's not asking you for those. He's simply asking if you would be willing. A prayer of availability. Moses says, God, would you send somebody else? Jonah says, God, I'm not going. That seems too big for me. But Isaiah, the very guy that prays this dangerous prayer, he says, Just send me. Listen to how his conversation with God goes. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this group of people? God says, Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. Yeah, I know Frank could do it, but you're asking me. Yeah, I know, Tina, yeah. But God, you're asking me. I'm going to go. God, you've given me a clear direction. God, you don't have to look any further. You want to know what Isaiah says? Here I am. Send 
me. And notice what he doesn't say. Isaiah doesn't say, here I am, send me, but before I go, can I just check my calendar? Or before I go, can I just do all the dishes? Because that one's for my wife. Like, we can actually leave without us doing those things. Before I go, can I just make sure that our finances are in order, that, you know, my life is all secure? Can I just make sure that the itinerary is really figured out? God, can, you know, can I double check it? And God goes, nah. I've given you a what? I just need to know if you will. And Isaiah simply goes, God, here I am. Send me. It's a prayer of availability. Now, the truth is, that's a big jump. For some of you, you're going, oh, man. I feel like I'm more like Moses and more like Jonah. I don't even know. How does Isaiah get to that spot? Well, the truth is, the first few verses of this very chapter explain how Isaiah gets to the spot where he's willing to say, God, here I am. Send me. And so if you're following on the screen, you can see that the first thing that happens for Isaiah in this chapter is he experiences, which I think is so catalytic for him to be able to pray this prayer of availability, he encounters, he has an encounter with God. He has an encounter with God. Here's what it says at the beginning of this chapter. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, that Isaiah saw God. He had an encounter with God, he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. See, the truth is when you have an encounter with God, you stop praying things like, God, send somebody else. God, I'm not sure I'm good enough. You just simply say, oh my goodness, I just heard from God, I'm gonna do whatever he asked me to do. The right question for you would be, well, what does that even look like nowadays? I've never seen God. I've never really had a phone call from God personally myself or got a text message. God shows up in a variety of different ways, though. For some of you, it's through music. During just even the worship set that the band was leading us through, you just felt like you encountered God. And I'm telling you what, he does that constantly. He speaks to people through song. He might speak to you through a message like this, and you go, oh, I just feel like, I'm not sure if you've ever left here, going, I just feel like he was speaking right to me. That's not me, I'm not good enough. That's all God just going, I want this to be for you, an encounter with God. I know for other people, it's when they're spending time with their 15 minutes alone with God, reading the Bible, that God will speak to them, prompt them. It's an encounter with God. Often for me, it's when I'm driving. When I'm just driving and I'm just kind of sitting alone with God, listening and praying that God will just, you know, prompt me in my spirit. He'll speak to me. I mean, it's just incredible how that happens. God shows up in a variety of different ways. I remember getting to the spot in my life where I said, it is Washington where we're supposed to start this church. It was after one of my trips that I drove around Iowa. I remember being in Creston that, you know, earlier that evening. Creston's in the south, you know, west corner. And I remember driving back from Creston, just being deflated, like, man, it's not Creston. I'm not supposed to start the church in Creston. Show up to our house in Ottumwa, and I start to, like, have this pity party with Carrie. And Carrie looks at me like, dude, you've been gone from the three kids all day. Shut up, you know, take them, you know. So she just hands me the kids. She's like, I'm going to Walgreens. I think that's why she loves it so much. It's like an escape for her. So she goes to Walgreens in typical dad fashion. You want to know what I do? I throw in a DVD. You know, like, I need some help watching the kids. Why don't you watch the TV for a while? And the DVD that we chose was a little worship DVD that we had. A little band was playing on there, and the kids could sing, you know, worship songs to God. And it was about two or three songs into this DVD that I started to cry like a little girl. And I felt God 
kind of leaning in on me. And I remember just praying, going, God, I am so tired of driving all over the place. And as politely as I heard God say back, then why are you doing it, moron? I've already told you where I've asked you to start this church. And again, it wasn't an audible voice. I just kind of felt it in my spirit. And I remember just praying back, well, God, I forgot. I don't remember. Where in the world? I mean, I had been to so many cities, met with so many people. By then, I'm like, well, where was it? If I missed it, just help me out. Is it Marshalltown? I thought for sure there's Marshalltown. And he says, it's Washington. And I remember just praying back to God, well, what about, what about the church that I left? I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to have any friction. And I just felt God kind of tell me, do you not think I'm a big enough God for them and the other church and the other church? And I go, yeah, I do think you're more than big enough to take care of all of us. And I said, done, I'm in. In a basement, I feel like I had an encounter with God that he just kind of, again, it wasn't like he was speaking through the, t- it just kind of felt it in my spirit. A, a year after we started the church, I got invited to go to Chicago. It was a, a day long trip or maybe it was a night and a day, I don't forget, but I was in Chicago, I was invited to sit at this round table where pastors across the United States who were you know, starting churches in rural spots throughout America were gathered. Was, I was just lucky somebody had bailed out, so I got the replacement. They asked me to come over, and, and I'm sitting there for a day, and, and we're just talking about what's it look like to start churches in places that nobody really gives a flying rip about. And, and I leave, you know, driving home to go meet with the girls, and about halfway between Chicago and here, I felt God, again, just lean in so heavily into my life. Going, Tony, if you think that all you're supposed to do is start a church in Washington, Iowa, and then go on cruise control, you are far wrong. I want City Point Church, Washington, Iowa, to be a springboard for all the other rural Iowa cities in the state. I felt it so big. That's why I started praying about Williamsburg, started praying about Sigourney and these other small towns around us. And I'm just going, the minute I had an encounter with God, Isaiah had it, I feel like I've had him, and I know you might have had him too. I just said, done. Here I am, send me, I'm willing to go. But that wasn't the only thing that happened for Isaiah. It went on from having an encounter with God to number two, him having an awareness of his sin. So Isaiah has this meeting with God, and then it goes on to say this in verse five. It says, then I said, it's all over. After he's met with God, after he's had an encounter with God, he says, it's all over. He literally says, I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. He says, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the God, I've seen the King, and the Lord of the heaven's army. See, friends, the truth is Isaiah was completely freaked out. Because he knew at that moment that he was a sinful man. He was aware of his sin. And he's going, oh man, look at me. Look at my life. Look at my past. God, are you sure you want to use me? He's just totally freaked out. And maybe some of you are in the room and you've never really thought about your sin. You've never thought about the very thing that breaks God's heart, which is you making any decision that doesn't go with what he wants. He just calls it sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, for everyone is sin. I oftentimes say, everybody's blown it. We all have junk in our life. None of us kind of deny that, but the verse goes on to say, we fall short of God's glorious standard. And why does this kind of spur Isaiah on to pray, God, here I am, I'm, I'm available? 
It's because when you realize that you fall short of God and he still chooses to use you, it's a beautiful thing. When you can stand before God and go, look at me, I don't have anything to offer. I'm just, Isaiah said, I'm just doomed. I don't have anything good. I mean, on my own, I'm just, I'm sinful. And God goes, if you're willing to, I'll still use you despite the flaws, despite the stuff in you that's not made right, and I have somebody who's coming to take that away. Isaiah goes, done. Here I am, send me. It was his awareness of sin that led him to the third thing that is just so huge. It was his awareness of sin that led him to an understanding of grace. The next two verses literally go on to say this, then one of the seraphim, which is an angelic being, which is just, it sounds weird, it's, you know, just, it's an angelic being. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Verse seven says, you wanna know what he did with those, with the burning coal? It says, he touched my lips, and with it, he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. If you remember, Isaiah said, oh man, I'm doomed, I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, I live among a people with filthy lips, and the very thing that this angel came to bring was a removal of guilt and sin from his lips. Friends, this, these two verses were just a foreshadow of what Jesus was coming to do for us. We were all sinful. And what Jesus came on the cross to do was not to just you know, touch a certain sin area of our life. He was to forgive us of all of our sins. That's why we celebrate Easter. He was gonna come and it wasn't gonna be this, this simple removal of sin. It was gonna be this washing away. It was far as from the east as from the west is what Jesus was gonna do on the cross. It was his blood that was gonna remove our sins for eternity. It was a foreshadow. And Isaiah had an encounter with God that led to an awareness of sin that ultimately gave him an understanding of God's grace. I'm telling you what, when you understand God's grace, it leads you to say, are you serious? You'll use me? Are you kidding me? You've seen my life and you still want to use me? And God goes, absolutely. It's never been about what you do. It's always been about what Jesus has done for you. And so if you can understand his grace, then I can use you to do something incredible. Would you just respond to God's what? Whatever he asks you to do. Would you position yourself I'll do anything you want. I'm willing. I'm available. And so it was those three things. An encounter with God. It was awareness of his sin and an understanding of God's grace that led him to praying the very prayer that we started with, where he says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Then I heard God saying to me, after all that had happened, then Isaiah says, I heard God saying to me. After I realized all that stuff, he says, I heard God asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to these people? Who's going to go for us? And it's without a shadow of a doubt now that Isaiah responds, Are you kidding me? You're inviting me to play a part? Here I am. Send me. Choose me, God. If you're willing to love me that much, to use me, to give me a purpose, send me. You know my past. You still want me. Send me. 
I wonder if you're in the room and you need that moment. You need a moment. We'll put the last thing on the screen for you. It's a willingness to go. A willingness to go. God, I'm not just going to stay here. I know your grace. I can't just hold this in. I have forgiveness that needs to be shared with others. God, I need to tell everyone. It's why as a church, our vision and our mission is to reach 22,247 people for Christ. It's everyone. Because the truth is, all of us fall short. All of us do. And it's through what Jesus has done for us. It's through the celebration of Easter that we can do what we do. And I'm telling you what, when we are aware of the things that Isaiah was aware of, we say, God, here we are. Send me. Now the natural question is, well, what in the world is God going to ask us to do as a church? I mean, would you get to that point already? Because what is he going to ask? Because I think at this point in time, all of us in the room are going, I will. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Just tell me what God wants to do. Unfortunately, you got to ask him. You got to ask him. Because he wants to do something individually in you. Because he's wired you and gifted you and given you abilities and a purpose and a calling. There's something for you individually, but for us corporately, he's made it clear. If you look back at Jonah and Moses and Isaiah, the what's were all the same. The what's were, I want you to go to the group of people that I've sent you to. Tell them about God's love. For us, he says, you wanna know what I want you to do as City Point Church? I want you to go and point people towards Jesus. And this morning, I want to ask you if you'd help me out. If you'd take a step. Just so you know, the most willing people are to give church a shot is Christmas Eve and Easter Sunday. And I just believe God really, really cares about your neighbor, your coworker, your family member and friend. On the way in, hopefully you received one of these. If not, you can grab one on your way out. It's a card that has the very verse on the back, Isaiah 6, 8, here I am, send me. But on the front, there's three lines. There's three lines that I'm gonna ask God all week to help you fill in. Maybe for you, it's gonna be a no-brainer. But I want you to put the names of maybe a family member who's never been to church. Maybe it's a coworker who's blown God off and said, this is just, it doesn't work for me. Maybe it's a friend that you're gonna take a shot on. And this week you're gonna write down a name. One of my names is Ben. I'm gonna invite Ben to come give church a shot. I don't know if he goes anywhere else, but I'm gonna take a shot on Ben. Another guy is a guy named Dennis, met him yesterday. He's a DJ, I'm just gonna give him a shot. I'm gonna go, Dennis, you gotta come be a part of this. And then there's a family that I'm gonna invite and I just wonder if some names are coming to your mind right now. What's God want you to do? He wants you to care about the people he cares about. It's why we do everything we do. And he's just gonna ask you if you're willing and if you're willing and if I'm willing, I just imagine a church our size that gets excited about pointing people to Jesus and we see a great move of God happening.